people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And people know how much you care until you actually listen. Electric Soil Podcast. Imagination is the electric soil of creation. All right, welcome back to Electric Soil Podcast. My guest today is Jamal Marshall, public speaker, lover of poetry and spoken word, and has a passion to see past the surface to discover the why and what. Spent six years in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, Central Office in D.C., and the past seven years as a counselor and public speaker. So, Jamal, would really like to welcome you to the show. Thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes, you betcha. So I was just reading, doing a little bit of reading on you there, and it mentioned you were uh, so you were quite a a shy kid. Is that correct? Like you were uh, took you a little while to come out of your shell. In some respects, I mean, with any child, it's always the environment, and so it depends on the environment I was in. Um, and it, it's weird as a kid, I wouldn't say I was shy. I would say more so as a teenager in the early young adult years, I was just kind of pulled into a little shell, but that was as a result of just some trauma I experienced. So as a kid, I was kind of uh, maybe a bit gregarious, <laughs> um, but that that sort of, I, I began to pull in and kind of figure out what people wanted and try to match pitch with that. Does that make sense? Totally does. Yeah, yeah. I I, I can totally relate to that because as a kid, you're, as for me too, I was very uh, free spirited and just, you know, you say, say things you probably shouldn't, but then, yeah, like you say, as soon as you kind of get these inhibitions built into you, the older you get, uh, you definitely mm-hmm. start getting a little more reserved. So it makes complete and total sense. So it's, I always find it interesting, especially if I read that about somebody, then they end up becoming a public speaker, which is like most people's, one of their deepest fears is getting up in front of people and actually doing the, uh, the public speaking side of things. So I guess what changed for you and when, as far as, uh, you know, like you said, when you were, uh, as far as the environment and working through the traumas, how did you navigate your own mental health and get to the state that you are uh, nowadays? I think being aware of it and actually asking for help. Um, a lot of times, if you think of the, the term shame and being ashamed, um, we typically don't even like to acknowledge that there is a problem. Mm. And I had to realize like there's problems as a result of, you know, things I'm carrying as a result of, you know, part of my home life uh, that I don't want to deal with, but I need to, otherwise this will consume me. And so, you know, I, I, I talked to one of my parents cause it's another parent I wasn't close with. And I decided to start actually getting some, some counsel um, mm. about some of the things I went through. And it was just things that I was going through, you know, growing up, not really being close to my dad um, in the early years. And so I didn't really know exactly how to communicate or, or what were the, the the channels of communication between a father and son and between a man to a man. So it was those things that produced those inhibitions. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually choosing to deal with it, which was a choice. Um, and everyone has to make their own choice, you know. Totally, totally. So you're kind of, uh, I, I don't know how, uh, how open you want to be with it. So basically it sounds like, yeah, definitely some, uh, some family issues potentially growing up. Uh, you found a, a counselor by the sounds of it. So was that kind of a turning point for you? Was, uh, was basically finding a forum that you could express yourself or learn to express yourself. You kind of talked about almost learning how to communicate in a certain way that you can sort of get this stuff out of you. Does that co- more or less what happened for you? I would say more just like processing it, being able to process my thoughts and being able to be in a place that was safe because I didn't always feel safe, you know, and when you don't feel safe, that typically is, I would say when someone says, oh, he or she is so quiet, it's like, maybe they just don't feel safe. 
Right. You know, hmm. maybe they're not quiet at all. Maybe they have so much pent up in them waiting to get out, right. waiting to express, but they're just scared and they don't know how to, or they feel like if they do, that might be met with some rejection. And so the, you know, counseling and being able to process things helped me to deal with the fear of rejection and helped me to come on the other side of it and say, okay, what am I really scared of? Yeah. And who am I really scared of? Does sure. that make sense? It totally does. Yeah. 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 So it sounds like, uh, I think from your, I guess from your experiences, and I might be uh, paraphrasing or putting words in your mouth, but correct me if I am, environment has a huge place in somebody's, the way that they react, the way they act. Environment is huge and can't be under understated as far as how it's producing a person and, and their view of themselves and that, and that sort of thing. Is that correct? Oh, man, you're spot on, man. Of course. <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I mean, it's always interesting, right? Because... um you know, like you say, I mean, especially the younger you are, the less control I think you have, over, obviously, if over your environment, right? And then it's sort of after you get to a certain point where you can kind of strike out on your own. And regardless if how maybe how poor you are at the time, you know, it's everybody's eating like the the craft dinner uh, <laughs> diet early early twenties. But by the same token, at least you're on your own. You have a taste of freedom, and then you can kind of start learning how to. Um, I guess express yourself in, in a different way, but I really like what you say. It's it's all about processing, right? Because if you if you don't process it, if you don't actually, I guess, take the time to analyze it and what, how it's affected you and what it means to you, it's gonna end up being this like almost like subconscious programming that you're gonna carry with you for the rest of your life potentially, right? Is that, yeah, I don't know. What's what's your what's your take on that? Like, is it? I'm just kind of interested. I like like what you said. I, I wouldn't mind if you if you could elaborate a little bit more on the processing part. Yeah, when you process like whatever that trauma may be or where the root of that thing is, because like a lot of times we deal with the fruit, we deal with the thing that's on the surface. And it's just like, right. I need to get to the root of this. Why do I feel like if uh, if I'm in this environment, I may need to be funny or if I'm in this environment, I may need to be extremely quiet, you know, or do I sense rejection around the corner of true expression? Mm -hmm. Do I feel like I need to throw on a face or throw on code switch to a certain voice type to be accepted what what am i yearning to be accepted for and do i already have that very thing i'm yearning for what am i working so hard for and spending so many hours and mental energy for and, and when we you know take time and it depends on the type of counseling it is because i don't recommend every counselor for everybody mm. when we take time to actually deal with those pain points we can turn those pain points into pleasure points but it really takes a lot of digging and sitting with things that are painful mm. and when we sit with those painful things it's like okay i see where the root of this is from and i see where that muscle memory has been built up now i can go back and take that corrective action ah really well said yeah no that completely makes sense so you're all about it's basically you got to find that root that the root cause, and that's going to, as soon as you discover that, that's going to kind of open up the whole, it's like the secret door at that point. It's just like, okay, then everything will kind of start making sense to you. And from there, you can kind of make your, the changes you, until you're actually fully aware of where that's coming from. It's very hard to make changes. Is that more or less kind of where you're going with that? Yeah, I would say uh, uh, some of, I would say a, a counselor who I would deem or I would recommend a person to is someone who is self-aware. And mm. there's some people that are Given a lot of advice, you know, we live in the age of information, so everyone's giving advice these days. <laughs> yeah. They're not even self-aware. It's just like you don't even have life experience to back that up or any authority behind your words at all. But you got a phone, you got an electronic device, and so you're ready to just tell the world what you think. Sure, of course. It has no root, it has no authority, it has right. no uh there's no weight behind it. But you can tell when someone has 
you know, been through trauma, someone has overcome with someone has dealt with and set in the roots of those things and even revisited those things. It's not that, oh, I got to the root of this and now I'm done. Sure. You know, yeah. Some, some trauma can stick to you like crazy glue. Okay, and there's yeah. times when it's like, okay, I needed to step back. I need to pump my brakes. I need to deal with this thing or this habit that I'm so used to or this way of responding again. And where can I grow from here? You know, where can I go and be that, you know, where can I grow into being that best version of myself and coming into what I was intended to be? You yes. know, I'm a person of faith, so I do believe that God has created each of us and intended us to be a person. And there are certain things in our environment and in this world that have worked to retard that development. Mm. And so it's not like that development, even when that development has been retarded, that in, in one fell swoop or one, you know, counseling session, we're just done. No, it, it's it's hard work. Because we didn't get to these defense mechanisms and these mindsets and just this craziness overnight. And right. so the healing process is not overnight. I hope that answers your question. That's my long-winded answer. No, no, for your no. Audience. It definitely does. It definitely does. It sounds like you um yeah, you've got a very good grip on all this stuff. So it's, I'm always fascinated by people that are especially in the line of work with, with counseling. I mean, there's so much uh, dynamics to that as far as just interpersonal sensitivity. You've kind of touched on you know, almost knowing your audience to a degree. So if you have somebody that you're counseling that's quite shy, you're going to take a different approach than you would somebody that's a little bit more energetic, right? So you're going to like, like you say, kind of match their energy level to a degree, right? And uh, so I'm, yeah, kind of interested when you're uh, in into your counseling here, like what is your age group? If there is one, are you doing like, you know, the younger, are you oh, doing some older, is everywhere in between? Like what, what does that look like? Great question. When I first started back in 2013, my age group was like just, I would say, 18 to 24. And okay. I was so comfortable with that. Yeah, sure. Um, but then by the time, you know, and this is when I was in it full time, I had people who were almost 60. Really? You know, overseas. Yeah. That, wow. The case load just got so, and I was very, at first I was wondering, I was like, man, how am I going to handle this? Sure. You know, <laughs> I was very thankful because it stretched me to know that, you know, what, one size doesn't fit all. I start getting people who are on psychotropic meds, oh. people who are on just, you have to, I was so glad for a broad case though, so I could run the gamut to see like, how far can this stretch me and knowing that one size doesn't fit all, you know, uh, like these days, especially even in the counseling or in the, the mental health room or in the motivation room, you kind of have these influencers that tell everyone the same thing. And it's just like, that same thing is not going to work. This person doesn't even know how to read. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Totally, man. This person has all sorts of trauma. This person has pieces of their brain missing. I mean, I've, I've, I've dealt with the gamut. This person, and I, I have to be careful on this call, but this person may even have sexual trauma that they're mm, dealing with. So you got to yeah. know how to deal with different types of groups of people. So, man, yeah, I, I got my first female client uh, this last year, uh, which because I had all guys at first. And it was just so, it was actually really fun working with and the, the level of sensitivity. Sure, um, sure. There, and and the way that they even lean into like every single component of the counseling program. So yeah, I, I deal with a pretty broad group. Um, so if you're an adult, I, I don't I don't have any youth counselor or anything like that. But if you're yeah. an adult, even eighteen, and my oldest I think was 50, 58 or so, wow. fifty nine. So <laughs> the wide variety, like you say, I mean, you got to so the amount that you've done it. Obviously, this you know seven years here, you, you you've kind of seen this wide variety. Was there anybody that sort of uh, threw you off at first because you're like, man, how am I going to possibly relate to this person? And then from there, 
uh, obviously you were able to. So like what, uh, I guess what, what, what kind of skills do you employ at that point where you're kind of like, man, my own personal experiences don't really necessarily apply to this person, but I'm still have, you know, enough self-awareness or whatever it may be to be able to help this person in some way. How long did it kind of take for you to kind of get that confidence and get those chops up that you're like, okay, I can handle anybody now. Like where was there, was it just over time or was there a specific person where you're like, if I can do this, I can do anybody. <laughs> I had, I think I was in my second year. Um, or I've been in a year and a half and I got a guy who had pieces of his brain missing and he was on I think 11 different psychotropic meds when, I, when he got to me. Mm. And so one, you know, having to keep track of like all his medications, when he needs to take them, Man. what his learning style is, what his personality type is. Cause it was hard. And like, of course, you know, you have your consultation. Most of the consultation, he was cutting me off. And I was just like, he had like that type of personality. So I was like, okay, I see what I got one of these. <laughs> yeah. And then I learned to just work with them that most of you'll find, and if, if anyone in the mental health field is under the sound of my voice, 90% of the best counseling sessions are listening. I can tell you this with you, you know, we used to have um, where I worked at the kind of a window uh, in every office. And I was one of three senior counselors. And if I walked past an office and I saw the counselor doing most of the talking, I was like, oh, it may look good on the surface. And a lot of times when you have new counselors that come back from like a counseling conference and they've gotten the new materials, they've seen the Tony Robbins, all that, whatever it yeah, is, whatever field you may be in, yeah. they're just ready to just unload information on people. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And mm. people know how much you care until you listen. That is a great quote. I'm going to, I think I might use that as the intro for the show. Uh, the, <laughs> with the, uh, what is it? People don't say it again, please. I like that quote. People man. don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Oh. Perfect. That is so good. I love it. Okay, moving along. If you monetize so, that, just make sure you call me. <laughs> yeah, royalties coming your way. Absolutely. I'll collect <laughs> Absolutely, man. No, that's genius. I love that. Um, when you how I guess what stage did you get into the public speaking, and did you find that it um, I guess kind of went hand in hand with your work as a counselor? Like, were you? finding some of the similar subject matter was coming up as far as, okay. And I, I know you don't believe in a one size fits all, but by the same token, there are certain fundamental pieces of, you know, information or advice you can give people that will resonate with most everybody. So is that kind of the, the route you take with public speaking or specifically what, uh, I guess, nuanced areas of your counseling and, and your brand do you kind of take when you go with the public speaking? I got into the public speaking actually because I was working at an NGO. And of course, when you work in an NGO or any, even if you work in a corporate, you need to promote. And so uh, someone in the leadership team decided, hey, Jamal's kind of got some gifts. So why don't you send him out, you know, so he can promote and can share his story, you know, what brought him here and why he's counseling now. And so I had to learn like how to actually develop. Okay, this is a 20 minute talk. This is a 30 minute talk. You know, this is how the tempo to talk is so you don't lose people. Yeah. And if you talk too slow, you lose people. If you talk too fast, then they can't keep up with you. Um, and so it was a lot that I had to learn. I think I always had a natural gift, fearlessly, of getting up in front of people for whatever reason. I don't know why. Uh, I took street law. Um, I'm originally from California, but been living in D.C. since uh, a while. I'm not going to date myself. <laughs> <So> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I took street law and... I actually won an award for best prosecuting attorney. Really? So I, I knew that as a, even as a 16, 17 year old, I was like, okay, I know how to roll with them. 
I can yeah. take a case building and my actually my case, my client was was guilty, but I was refusing to lose that case. So I said, I, I want to be ruthless. So I, I learned and also I call it the KYA principle, how to know your audience. You know, you want to relate to your audience, but you also want to know every audience is not the same. You can tell one joke in front of one audience that another audience will just sit there and stare at you. Sure. Or you can be serious and another audience will find it. Oh, he's so funny. It's like, no, I'm being totally serious. It, it just depends. And also when you, in speaking in public speaking, developing that around a brand to relate, to move your hands, don't put your hands in your pockets, walk around, interact yeah. with your audience. Right. If you get a heckler, maybe use that heckler to your advantage. And so it's just little things I learned along the way since I started going out of how to relate to the audience and also how to tell my story. Um, part of relating to the audience, especially in the mental health field and, and, and building any brands, always telling you a story. If you don't have a story, you don't have anything. And so, so. Sure. So I guess a question for you, like, do you lead with, with your story then? Is that how you kind of not lure people in, but kind of make that connection right off the bat? You're like, Hey, my name's Jamal. This is my story. And then do you find people or like, do you, do you, I guess, yeah. Do you use your story tactically as far as, okay, now is the time to do it. It sounds like you do a lot of reading the audience as well. Do you have a set formula or is it literally you go up there, you got some bullet points to hit, you're going to adjust it depending on the audience. All right. It depends on the audience um, because it's one, it depends on what the need of the audience is. Mm. So I need a survey, either that work has already been done or I need to do that work myself to find out what the need of the audience is because you can tell your story. But the audience is concerned is how does your story help me? Ah, yeah. Everyone okay. wants yeah. to tell their story, but it's like your story because you lead with it's good to have a story because it makes you relatable. But sure. how does your story help me? Ah. And what we all are in it for ourselves. Let's just be honest here. Mm -hmm. What is your story doing for M E me and mine? And so if I get some some data points, I can figure out how does this story help them and how can I cue this into some sort of brand, whether it's podcast whether it's a counseling program, whether it's six to 12 weeks that someone wants to come work with me, I have to find that out because it's not going to be the same for every audience. Completely. Interesting. I have a lot of people tell stories, but I'm like, we all got a story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, if right? it's not helping me, I don't really care. Yeah. Let's just be real. There, there is a lot to just the whole idea of public speaking, isn't there? There's so much, uh, so many dynamics. Um, have you ever felt, it doesn't feel like you have that, like you, you'd mentioned, you have sort of this innate fear, fearlessness as far as like speaking for audiences. You never really had that. Certainly you must get some degree of adrenaline dump before you go up there though. Like, do you do any breathing beforehand or is there anything like that that you, uh, that you could recommend doing? Matt, you ask incredible questions, man. Yeah, I get nervous every time. You do? Okay. And I mean, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure you have audience members. I don't, I don't, I'm going to be careful with your audience. I don't want to yeah. be crude. But like, I, yeah, yeah. of course, I I use the bathroom like a ton of times. I'm always like, okay, I got to go pee. I got to go pee. I get super, super nervous every okay. time. Interesting. Okay. I breathe. I look in the mirror. I practice, you know, maybe the night before. I pace the floor. Maybe not get such a good sleep. But the nerves to me is an indication that I care about the content I'm sharing. Completely. Like the moment I'm just like, um, I'm not a natural athlete. I call myself a supernatural athlete. I play sports, but I'm like, I'm not the best, but I'm not the worst. I got and you. I love the sport of tennis because tennis makes me think. And I know when I'm nervous before a match, I say, okay, I have a good chance to win this. If I'm not nervous at all, you know, I'm not going to make good contact with the ball. I'm just going to be too loose to even yeah. make contact. Too, too okay. tight to actually be loose enough. So I say nerves is always a good thing because it shows that you want it. So yeah, every time before I speak, there's usually some like, oh man, 
I am super, super nervous. And I yeah. can't wait for it to be over. And once it's over, I'm like, oh. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Cause I was like, yeah, that's interesting because I thought the way that you were speaking about it is like, certainly there's some butterflies, but the fact that you are still going through seemingly the same physical reaction that everybody does, it's just, you're kind of framing it in a different way. You're like, you're saying, okay, you're kind of almost like marginalizing what's good about it. Okay. What is it? It's, it's making me probably more aware. It's making me more kind of, yeah, just uh, like it shows that you care and yeah, there's this, there's good that can come of being nervous. Nervous is energy that you can use and it doesn't have to be like, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? You're using it to be like, okay, uh, this has heightened my awareness. I'm going to, I'm going to do very well with this. So whether it's a tennis match or public speaking, you're using that energy. I think that's the difference, man. Like that's, there's not a lot of people, people let that energy overwhelm them while well, you're using it. You're using it to your advantage, right? It sounds like. Yeah, no, you said it perfectly. It's like I can either let use the nerves to my advantage or, or that nerve can turn to terror. If I'm right, terrified of public right. speaking, I'm not going to go up there. If I'm terrified, I'm going to cancel it like, oh, let somebody else do it or make some excuses. Like if it's a Zoom, hey, I couldn't log on. Yeah, You yeah. know, all sorts of <laughs> different excuses. That's the difference between nerves and terror. Nerves yes. can either work for you or they can work against you. Yeah, totally. No, that's, that's really important. That uh, I'm glad we talked about that for sure. Uh, when, you're in, when you're in your public speaking, do you prefer – like a long, I guess, what is the longest speech you've done? Uh, or do you like a nice kind of compartmentalized 20 minutes? Or do you like that freedom of like an hour or like kind of open-ended? You can be up there for as long as you need to be. What, what, do you have a preference or do you kind of like both? Long as I've gone is 45 minutes, I believe maybe 45 to 60, but it was also yeah. broken up. Oh, okay. because it was it was going to be filmed. And so, of course, you know, the camera crew does their thing. And then they're like, this is the second segment. Yeah. And so part of that was a little weird because I didn't feel the freedom to be as free because it's like I need to be done by this time because mm. this is when this camera is panning out and I need to look in this direction. Okay. That's the only thing about speaking is like when you're in that forum, you got to make sure you're interacting with the audience, which is so fun, but also interacting with the camera. Man. It's a whole art, the definitely, you know, definitely. And then, shutting yourself down by that segment time um yeah but I, I like the freedom to me it shouldn't go over an hour to me after about an hour you're gonna lose people because after an hour you'd lose me <laughs> yeah. yeah the speaker himself is is now losing himself so i'm pretty sure the audience has gone too no i yeah i think you're right especially nowadays man like people generally it's like the the uh the the day of you know the five minute youtube videos and and everything, people have a generally a pretty uh, short attention span, I would think. So I could see where you would think, yeah, 45 minutes is sort of the sweet spot. Okay, we're moving along here. Um, have you had, I guess as a counselor, uh, this kind of goes hand in hand with this as well. What, do you, what can you say about or uh, speak to as far as mentorship and mentoring, finding a proper mentor? Have you had one in your life before? Uh, I know it's a big thing for, for nowadays. And are you a mentor to anybody right now? Uh, is, is there anything you could speak on as far as the subject of mentorship? Good question. Yes, I have had. I'll answer both of those questions. So good question. Uh, <laughs> I've had some amazing uh, mentors in my life. Uh, and I, I've, I'm always good at, you know, I want to always protect confidentiality. But one person that comes to mind is a guy by the name of Brad Fergus. Um, and this is when I lived in middle America. And it was just always a, a blessing to have someone who had gone ahead of me in a lot of things. And someone who was, I think, Brad's maybe about 13 14, 15 years older than I am. So it's like mm -hmm. somebody who has some years on me, some experience, someone who's had some hills and valleys and some triumphs. 
and I can glean from it. It, it was things that he shared with me I didn't always like, um, but it, it, it helped me to even know how to pour into my own clientele and my own counselees. Um, and just, you know, he saw things about me uh, that I was like, oh, you know, you know, sometimes mentors can put their finger on things. It's like, I don't really want anybody touching that, but it was really good for me. Um, and I, I, I haven't had just one mentor. I, I can name you about maybe five different men um, along the line who have had a hand and, and some who still have a hand um, in mentoring me. I, I believe we should always be in the process of bouncing off uh, parts of our life with people who are just a few paces ahead of us. Yeah. So that's the first question I'll answer. Um, unless yeah. you want to go somewhere with that. No, I, I, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head there. Like how some of the best teachers and specifically when you say talking about mentors is literally just that they're just a few steps ahead of you. So it's still fresh in their mind. It's still, it's not something that they're, you know, it's the glory days or something like that. Right. Whereas if somebody is like 20, 30 years ahead of you, uh, you want somebody that's, you know, st it's still kind of fresh in their minds as far as uh, they, they can speak to it. And some of the best teachers are just a couple steps ahead of you, right? So, no, it's very interesting mm -hmm. that you that you mentioned that. It's a very good way of looking at it. Uh, yeah, sorry to throw like two or three questions at you at a time. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. And I actually had a chance to uh, mentor, because I had so many council leads, but I had a chance to mentor a young fella uh, from 2014 to I'll say about 2016. And it was good for me because it actually, God used it to show me, you know, let people make their own decisions, ah, you know? Yeah. You yep. pour and pour and pour and pour. And that's for all of us, but people have to make their own decisions. You can't make it for them. You can give someone the creme de la creme of counsel, information, support, but we all have our own lives to live. And that's the part about mentoring is like you're sharing parts of yourself, sharing parts of your life, being honest with your own process. Cause each of my mentors were, they weren't coming across as perfect people, which I was very thankful for. Um, you know, you want to shatter the white picket fence and, and, you know, share a, a, at least enough to encourage the person, but at the same time you, you have decisions. Um, and I had the chance recently actually to at my full-time job to actually mentor uh, one of the summer interns and fellows. And that was a really, fun process just to encourage them uh, in their gifts and encourage them to network. It's like, man, people don't know if you want to stay working unless you tell them, you know, like get out there to worry about who you are, you know, yeah. put you on blast, but you got to sell you. And so seeing them actually go after things and, um, and, and really, I don't want to even say sell themselves, but um, really boss up yeah. <laughs> who they are yeah, yeah. was such a Blessing. So, uh, lack of better rhetoric that you have. Yeah, I get you. I get you. When you, I, I'm always fascinated by, I guess, with the idea of both the mentorship and the counseling. And we talk about, you know, sharing personal experiences and such. So, where, I guess, where do you draw the line uh, as far as, you know, sharing personal experiences? But then, like you say, the other side of it is live and let live, like let them make their own decisions because change will come from within, regardless of what you're telling them or how you're framing it for them. So mm -hmm. I, where is that dynamic, I guess, is that different from person to person? Because, uh, you know, I'm sure there's been some times that you've wanted to stop somebody go, listen, I've been exactly down this road and this is where it's going to lead. But you kind of have to almost back off on it. It seems like there's a little bit of an art form to it as far as how much of your life that you're going to share or extend, but kind of cut it off at a, at a certain part so then they can learn for themselves as well. Does that make sense, the question? 
Yeah, and I'm going to try to answer you in a way that makes sense. It's different if it's a client of yours or a counselee versus a mentor. That it, okay. it is just different. Okay. There's a dichotomy there. Like with the counselee, you kind of there is a little bit more intervention <laughs> that you can give. Okay. And a little bit okay. more involved you can give. If it's something somebody that you're you're mentoring, you know, a lot of times in those situations, and even to an extent in counseling, there's some things you just gotta let people learn through the process of life. Sure. And uh, one of my mentors was saying it was just I was sharing with him uh, a few days ago, uh, just a place I had gotten and just some frustration um, from just always saying, you know, when it comes to family, different things, always saying yes, always being there, always being the the one to to sacrifice just to make sure everybody's okay. And he said, you know, you had to learn it on your own. He said, I may have seen that years ago, oh. but I had didn't say this is what you need to. This is the 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 tie you need to sever not like i was tied to anything bad i was just tied to you know always wanting to be there and it's just like you had to see that for yourself and it's mm-hmm. some things in a mentoring space you gotta let people see for themselves they're only gonna see it that way right. whereas if it's kind of you know counseling and, and it's more of an emergency situation and intervention you gotta just put it right in their face <laughs> ah, makes complete sense no that thanks for uh, the differentiation that completely makes sense no I'm just gonna, I'm I'm kind of curious. I want to circle back to you uh, talking about your experience in the prison systems. Uh, so six years in there, what did that look like for you? And I guess what did that teach you about you know this grand scheme of things, this life, uh, you know, people, maybe social injustices again. But going back to environment, how much has environment created? Uh, you know, mis- these mistakes that these people have made potentially. Obviously, there's a whole podcast we could probably do just on this. But yeah, just kind of a snapshot. How was this for you? Six years doing that. It must have been a pretty profound experience, I would think. That is that is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> I mean, we're working at the, I was at the central office of the Federal Bureau of Prisons at, at DOJ. I would say, and one, I would say when I was in Indiana, starting to go into the prisons myself, it's like a city. It's just like a small city if you've yeah? ever been inside one. Okay. Um, and there are people just like we're people. I think the the stigma is that they are looked at as this is the bane of society. And many of us were one decision, one click, one encounter, one whatever away from being that person. So Fair it enough. just you deal with them on a face-to-face basis. Like when we would teach the classes um, on Thursday mornings, I actually would sit with the class. I wouldn't stand separately because nice. it's just like people just like I'm a person. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. And when you interact with them, it's just like they some of there's some brilliant brilliant people in the system, in the penitentiary right now. Okay. In and in counties. Yes. Brilliant people. Um, So what it taught me is just like never look on a person because of how society may have labeled them. Get to know them. Yeah. 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 And Hmm. that's that's part of my podcast. It's like, I just like to get to know people, listen and speak. Let me listen long enough and then speak if I need to. If I can actually get to know you. Wicked. That's so cool. I, I Yeah, I'd love to uh, dive back into this. Maybe sometime down the road we could do a... Uh, it's, just, it's just fascinating. And being in there for six years, it's not like you were in there for just a minute. Like that's, that's a decent chunk of time to be in there and just interacting with everybody. I like that that outlook though. It's just like, I'm sure it removed a lot of, um, you know, potential judgmental nature that you may have learned throughout your life is, is getting in there. And like you say, a lot of stigma is... is but this, it's just the, uh, when you don't know something and you've had an experience it yourself and you've been told kind of what to think or how to think, and then that just sort of stays with you. So you were able to obviously break free of that quite a, by, you know, quite profoundly by the sounds of it. 
Okay, I it's want just about being around them. I mean, it's an yeah. old Disney phrase, but it's true. If you walk the footsteps of a stranger, you'll learn things you never knew. You never knew. Yeah, completely, man. Well said. True. Hey, what can you speak on as far as just some of the social issues uh, that you know that we face as a society right now? Like, what is your opinion on, especially the last couple of years? Which right? one? <laughs> Which one of how many million? I mean, so, I so the I guess the the heavy hitters, right? So uh, the ones that have effect, obviously the you know the pandemic. We're talking pandemic. Uh, you know, the divide coming out of the pandemic, seemingly the people that are talking more about like, you know, their, their own rights versus, uh, the, the good of the whole nation, as far as getting vaccine, not vaccined, you know, there's obviously the, uh, the whole like divide that, uh, the, the, the politics down in the States specifically, I'm up in Canada here. So I've kind of been viewing as the, uh, the, the quote unquote laid back, uh, neighbor to the North. <laughs> and uh, I mean, we've had our issues up here too. Don't get me wrong. And, um, you know, just, uh, and the Black Lives Matter, uh, just seemingly these ancient, seemingly like, well, we were well past a lot of these different things, this, this neo-Nazi, all this bizarre crap that seems to be stemming back up. But on the flip side, there seems to be a lot of people that are a lot more, I don't know, honestly, I feel like there is somewhere in there, there's a glimmer, there's a shift in people in general. I, I, I just, I hope it's not me just you know what I mean? Grasping at something. I, but I feel that out of this, it's almost like it's like the darkest before the light. I kind of feel like there is a glimmer at the end of this that will transform us as a, as, as a people, as a, as a species. And I'm just curious, what do you think of that? I, I kind of going from, uh, you know, we're talking about your, your time in prison to a much more broad subject matter, but I'm curious, what do you, what, what do you, what can you say on all of that? I can say for sure, we live in very interesting times, man. Um, and you know, you, you take however many billions of people you cram them up in the house on lockdown for three weeks to a month and disaster can strike, <laughs> you know, um, if you think about this time last year and maybe take away four months, we, I mean, my, my, at least my country here was on fire, literally. Yep. Um, you know, through all, all the rioting that that had happened, and from the events in May, um, but it was it was kind of building up from years and years and years yeah. of conversations that had never been had. And I will say, people in power who rose to power who really intended to do nothing. Um, you know, I, I don't know if these words are catch fire, but the elite—they just know how to. They're really good puppet masters. Mm. And it's so important for us as people to learn to think for ourselves and really get to the bottom of what is going on. Um, you know, as a as a young uh, black man who lives in America, people always ask me what I think about Black Lives Matter. Um, the term, uh, I believe, is endearing. The movement, I don't really know a lot about them. You know, I live in a black community, so they've collected millions of dollars and I just don't see where that money goes. So I myself, you know, being on the ground, I, you know, I was I was actually asked to speak at an event that I think had some funding from that. And I just said, no, thank you, because I'm not seeing the money myself. I'm not seeing where all of that is going. You know, whatever Act Blue is doing, it's really not touching this community. Really? So, you know, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll snatch some wigs here. So when it comes to that and I, the elite again they they're puppet masters even some of the elite that look like me are great puppet masters hmm. um hmm. so in all of this 
Um, and, and in a time and a day and age where, as we were talking about before we got started, where everything can be a bit of a social tripwire, you know, you're not going to shame someone into thinking and doing what is right, because what is right to you may not be right to me and vice versa, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and now you have so much content out there. Uh, let's just say for me as a, a, a black man, I can just say, okay, Matt's white. So he's, he's just bad just because he's white. Mm. That's not going to help you become a better person, bro. It's right. just not. Right. And I, I I don't dial that back for your audience. Somebody may be offended by that. I, if you're offended, I'm so sorry. As a matter of fact, I'm not sorry because I'm speaking the truth. There's nothing you're going to say about me as a man because I'm a man. I'm not, I can't say for our, the audience who's female that I'm a bad person just because I'm a guy. It's like every conversation you have, someone's trying to shame someone into something now. Yeah. And that's the, the age that we live in. And I'm just like, I don't think I'm falling for it. Right. Do I think that hard conversations need to be had? Yes. Do I think and do I know that there are social injustices? Yeah, I'm a black man in America. Are we going about it the right way? I don't think we are because I don't see viable solutions. I see people playing games. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. But well put. Like, yeah, exactly. Man, there's, there's my so- controversial answer to Yeah, your right? Hey, no, I'm glad. I, you, you know what? You were still very uh, diplomatic about it as far as. Uh, you know, uh, your wording and everything. And I appreciate it, man. I, I really appreciate your uh, being honest about your your take on it because I was really interested about that just with, the, you know, circumstances being what they are and, and, you know, like your where you're living, your current living situation, all that. So I really appreciate your honesty on that and very well worded. I, I guess no the, the last, the last. sorry, go ahead. I'll leave your audience with this, a little bit, little bit of a heat rock. Every person who is of a lighter hue is not a racist. I'm just going to leave everyone with that and also want to leave them with this. There is systemic racism. (laughs) Those are two things that, those are two sides of the pole people don't want to admit. Everyone wants to deem, let's just say me as a man. If I step into a room, I work for an anti-human trafficking agency. I don't want to be known as a pervert. As a white person, I would not want to be known as a racist. And everyone's trying to paint every white person as racist. Mm. However, that's one, that's like the left side of the paint poster flag here, and let's just rest there. There's a whole nother far right side that says there is no systemic racism, and we've been singing Kumbaya since the 60s. Sure. That is all false. That is a false narrative. Yeah. We live in a very fallen world, and there are a lot of systems of oppression in America. I, yeah. I can fearlessly, shamelessly say that. And I'm not afraid, I know I'll be probably named, oh, he's some leftist Marxist. I am none of those things. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a human being and I'm a person of faith and I love Jesus. And I'm not ashamed to say that, but that's just who I am. Yeah. But also I can walk with people who don't walk, think and talk and act like I do, but also speak truth. And I know that's a hard thing to say that Every white person isn't racist. And yes, unfortunately, we do have systemic racism. Those are two things that people just don't seem to want to yep. get through the goal. So you may even have to edit this part out, but I'm yeah. going to leave you with that. No, man, I'm leaving it in. I'm leaving it in. Why do you think it that people are so in a, in a rush to be offended or to be to shame other people these days? Why, and it's happening at such a... I mean, we've kind of touched on it as far as everybody's got... A video camera everybody has 
you know, a YouTube channel or a podcast, or there's a lot more of that. And you say, like you say, there's not the life experience to back it up. So is that almost compensating for that? I mean, there's probably many different reasons. Some people are just jerks, right? But I just, I'm fascinated. Why is there such a fascination with almost the need or the right or the want to be offended? Where, like, where does that come from? Do you, and do you, do you, I guess, do you feel that that's the case first off, or am I putting words in your mouth? No, no, you're not putting words in my mouth. And, and I think for such a long time, there kind of has been this, uh, at least here in America, consensus of this is kind of how it is. This is how it goes. And this is the status quo. And that status quo, by and large, has been unchallenged. And now that it's being challenged, uh, at least seemingly being challenged, people, and we live in this age of information, and we all have these, even though your audience can't see me putting up my phone, <laughs> yeah. people are taking advantage of that. Sure. And people are saying like, man, and I, I have a voice too. Yeah. But I think where people are going wrong is that where, you know, obviously in the workforce, we talk about what's the solution to that? You know, we can talk to the cows come home. What is the actual solution? What's the actionable item that's going to come behind this? Yeah. You know, no, that's um, no one really wants to do the hard work and put feet to the ground and taking action. Everyone just wants to shame someone. I mean, if you think about here, I know you're Canadian, but here in 2020 and even more so, more infamously in 2016, the elections, it's like, I'm not talking about what I'm doing. I'm just here to shame you. I'm just here to just talk bad about you, but not the solutions I'm going to bring. It's like, tell me what you're going to do yeah. so I can see if I think I want to vote for you. I, I don't really care how much you don't like that other person. Totally. And so it's, you know, that's that's kind of the age we're living in. Unfortunately, people have gotten away from solutions and just kind of more want to let me just tell you how bad I think you are mm. and just make you sit with that. But that is not going to change that person's heart. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, again, very well worded. You got some great answers here. So you're, it's almost like people are love to be problem identifiers, but they're not going to be first in line to be the problem solver. They're going to go, hey, this is wrong. Well, what are you going to do about it? Ah, I'm just bringing it up. I'm letting you know. Are you going to do something about it? You know, like, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's kind of baffling some of this stuff. You worded it very eloquently, though. I, uh, that's great. Uh, okay, I'm gonna <laughs> gonna lighten it up. I just we got a couple. Uh, I always like having a couple just f uh, fun questions at the end here. Uh, but I th again, sure. thanks so much, uh, Jamal Marshall. By the way, on the show today, really appreciate him coming on. So we're gonna start with um, if you were to, if travel were open, 100% open, and you had three <laughs> spots in the <laughs> world that you me, could Matt. travel. Yeah, right. If you had three spots, you could go tomorrow. Everything is open. We just eradicated this COVID pandemic we're in. What would be the first three places you would go and why? All right. I will go to Dubai because I ain't never been there, man. Cool. And I just want to I just want to go, man. I want to <laughs> go to Dubai. Cool. I want to eat their food. I want to like go into one of them big old high rise places and just look down and yeah, take man. a picture. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I would love to go to Dubai. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like on my on my bucket list. Um, Beauty. Since I haven't been anywhere since COVID. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Place I would like to go is Australia. Australia. And I'd love to go to the Australian Open um, oh. to, to see the tennis tournament. Um, yeah, totally. If they do like a, a roof covering, because I know it gets pretty hot there. So <laughs> um, a friend of mine got to go there last year. Well, well, 
prior to like right before COVID okay. came everything down. And so I was, I was really, really jealous, man. But I, right. I love to go to Melbourne, uh, Australia. Yeah, man. Um, and Good third, job. I'd actually like to, the furthest I've been in Africa is Egypt. So I'd like to probably either go to Ghana. Nice. It's Ghana or South Africa. Um, South Africa, because I would love to see and do a little history about, you know, Mandela. I definitely, uh, a, a huge, obviously, who, who doesn't admire Nelson Mandela, but just all the time he spent in jail and the apartheid and what he was able to bring about, it just, I'm fascinated by it. And I have a few friends, actually a lot of friends that are Ghanaian, so Wicked. I keep hearing so much about Ghana. So it's like, okay, I need to make it to this place myself and see it for myself. Completely. So, Nice. Those are my places that's on my bucket list. Should I get to travel? So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Now you you're a fan of spoken word and uh, and so forth. Do you have a fa- or like favorite poem or poems or po I guess poets specifically? Is there anybody uh, you know people that are kind of uh, just starting to dabble in poetry? Is there anybody that you would recommend off the top of your head? Do you have like a Mount Rushmore of your favorite uh, poets? Well, obviously, Maya Angelou is. Uh definitely one of my my favorites i actually got to see her before she passed oh wow uh in cincinnati oh my goodness it it was incredible um and i I love spoken spoken word isn't always just poetry sometimes spoken word is just spoken word Uh, he's actually a an artist too he's actually a a hip-hop artist real hip-hop not rap (laughs) hip-hop is rap is drake and justin bieber i'm you're probably gonna lose your whole fan yeah (laughs) real hip-hop yeah uh, artist yeah. named Common, so nice. and he did a spoken word too uh, the night I saw him. So I'll say Common, cool. uh, Maya Angelou. Um, I, I would name a, a guy. His name is because he's not mainstream uh, at, at all. His name is Solomon, and he just he does. He has a YouTube channel. I got to look see what his last name is because it's uh, and he's a Christian. Uh, a poet and I, and I love the way he just strings spoken word together cool um so it that i just it, there's a few artists who I, I truly admire and spoken word is powerful yeah so oh, absolutely <laughs> completely is uh and you kind of talked a little bit about music uh what are you what are you listening to these days what would be on your playlist if you got a spotify playlist or uh, you're heading to the gym or whatever it may be what uh what are your you know current uh current things in your playlist I'll give a very unpopular answer, classical and instrumental. Sometimes I don't want to hear anybody's mouth. And so you'll be surprised. Anyone who knows me knows Jamal, he's usually listening to something. And if I take my earbuds off, they're like, oh, that sounds so soothing. It's usually instrumental music. Really? Okay. And cool. Yeah, because it just, it helps me reset my headspace. Mm. Um, sometimes when I'm always hearing words, you know, words are powerful. It can either raise my vibration or lower it. Sure. And sometimes it's like, okay. I just want to hear instrumental. So sometimes classical, nice. uh, which some people may get, they it may put them to sleep. Sometimes just piano instrumental, love it. Or sometimes it may be a beat. Yeah, um, sure, sure. I used to, yeah, I used to do spoken word myself. So sometimes I just throw on a beat and just string some words together, man. So, cool. Um, cool. I, I really love. So I'm not really listening to any particular artist right now. I'm just I'm listening to yeah music that doesn't have words. I love that, man. There's nothing better, in my opinion, than just. A piano just like a piano by itself is just so mm-hmm. expressive and so beautiful and so kind of haunting yes. but also uplifting like i i just love it man so that's it's funny you mentioned it. i've been doing a lot of instrumental music myself uh for the exact same reason like if i'm doing some work at home 
uh, the last thing you need is a distraction of somebody. Uh, you're trying to pay attention to what the guy's saying while you're doing your own work. So sometimes it's just beautiful to have some nice classical music on in the background. So really respect that answer. That's cool. Uh, any book recommendations, anything you're reading or audiobooks you've been listening to of late that, uh, you, that have uh, stood out to you or podcasts, uh, anything of that nature you'd like to share? Well, definitely my own podcast. Oh, perfect timing. <laughs> I love it. Do it. What's your, uh, yes. Where, what is your own podcast? Non-shameless plug, people. That, that was beautiful. Um, well done. Yeah. So uh, it's easy. If you go into Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple, iTunes, wherever, yes. type in the words listen and speak and you will see my face in orange. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's our brand, kind of orange and red. Um, so it's weird. Until people start telling me that you have really good content, I start like listening to my own podcast. Yeah. I was like, this is really good. <laughs> so, good. No, good for uh, you, man. Got to celebrate the wins. Honestly. Yeah, I would. So that's a good podcast. That's definitely one of the best podcasts. Oh, yeah. Top, um, tippy top. Yeah, you already know. Yeah. Uh, another good podcast uh, would be, uh, let me see what the name of that thing. The, it's Steve Wallenhouse at Weatherology. Um, and I think, I just gotta remember what the podcast. I just type in Steve Wallenhouse. Sure. Um, on, on Spotify, he's got a really because he does like fourteen minute monologues, and they're actually really, really good. And nice. it's from his book, so check him out. Okay. Um, Beauty. I would also check out imperfectly from a mental health standpoint. Uh, a really, really good podcast. Podcast is the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. Cool. And that's Glenn Marston. So for anyone in the mental health field. Uh, you definitely are going to get some good testimony from there. I'm inspired by him. He's a really good content creator. So those are my, my three, my top three. Beautiful, man. How do you spell yours again? Sorry, it cut out a little bit uh, with your, oh, okay. the title of yours. Listen, then speak. Listen, then speak. Okay, perfect. Nice and easy. Listen, then speak. Okay, I'll link that in the show notes. Anything else we, you want to link as far as Instagram, Twitter, anything else? Uh, do you have like a website uh, that you'd like to be able to be found at? Sure. Uh, your audience can find me at www.listenthenspeak.com. Okay. Uh, and you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, under Jamal Marshall. Uh, you can spell my name for them. I'm the only Jamal Marshall on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. Nice. And also uh, at Instagram, Jay loves to listen. Awesome. So, and that's love spelled wrong. L-U-V-S-T-O. Yes. Listen. <laughs> yeah. to listen. That's awesome. Okay. I'm, I'll link all of that in the show notes. Aside from that, man, thank you so much for taking the time. You had just some fantastic answers. For somebody that uh, loves to, to listen, you're a great speaker. So thanks for, for coming on, providing this great content for, um, for me and my listeners. And man, I'd love to have you back on at some point. So let's, uh, we'll keep in touch and, uh, and best of luck with everything, man. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.